This is a story just like it is walking, Peter walking on the water. Any story I've ever stood in this pulpit and shared with you, you know I'm preaching to the choir. But sometimes some of the notes when we sing get off kelter. And our singing as a choir doesn't always sound good. So we have to find ourselves in that place when we say, well, we're preaching to the choir because what have I said in this pulpit that you haven't basically already known? Think about it. What basically have you not known already? And uh, nobody can tell the Easter story better than you folks. God's people are the best ones to tell the Easter story because you're the ones that know it's real. You know he lives. And so we, we have all this knowledge. We have all this wisdom. And, and yet, when we encounter our own personal battles in life, and we talked a little bit about that last week, about the struggles that we have in life, um, and that God sometimes, during our struggles, wants to actually use us. And then there are some battles we get into that, well, they're, they're not, we've kind of caused them. We kind of made them happen. We sort of created them because of choices that we would make. One of the wisest things I learned in my counseling training under Dr. Dobbins, he was in the, he's, he's with the Lord now, but he was an Assemblies of God uh, psychologist. And he was a, used by the Assemblies of God to research scripture a lot. He was the best uh, uh, counselor I ever sat under for learning from who, who could use God's word and tie God's word into our lives. It's powerful. He made a statement one time years ago, and I've used it for years, I'll never forget it. It was really simple. He said, we live with the consequences of the choices we make. So if we make bad choices, we have to live with those consequences. If we live with good choices, well, we live with those consequences of the good choice. And sometimes we all know that we haven't always made the wisest choice. We know that. We know that can happen. Because if you don't think you never have, well, then you're perfect and I need to meet you after church because I need your prescription to explain to me how you're so perfect like Jesus. Uh, so I know that we all can look back and say, why did I do that, Lord? Why did I think that way, Lord? Why, am, why is this going on, Lord? And that's, that's kind of what we're seeing here as we develop this. So I'm going to start with Joshua 6, and uh, you might want to get your word out and follow along. I don't know. You can mark. I don't know if you're the type that's afraid to mark up your Bible. Don't ever be afraid to mark up your Bible. Don't, you're not offending God. You're not insulting God. And if you feel that it's a sin to mark up your, your favorite Bible, then don't mark up your favorite Bible. But buy a Bible you can mark up because it's not a sin to put notes in your Bible and mark up your Bible, underline scripture. It's not a sin to do that, church. And uh, so, uh, because it's just paper. You know, the message is what we don't want to mess up. The message, it's okay to mark up the Bible, but we don't want to mess up the message. So here we are in Joshua 6, and let's have the first uh, six verses. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we already know that what I just said is the foundation for this study. It's the foundation I'm talking about. We sometimes are in this predicament we're in, be, not because we were blindsided by somebody else, but because of the choices we made, things that we did. And so he says that for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever 
The Israelites planted their crops. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels, camels, for they invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now that's one of those things you want to mark in your scripture. They cried out to the Lord for help. Now, even though what we are seeing or going through in our lives today was told was coming, nothing said in Scripture that we should not cry out to the Lord. In other words, you know that you're, when you read the Bible and you see what people went through, and you see the results of wrong choices, you see the results of good choices, and you see the different things that can happen against the church even today. There's nothing in the Bible that says that even though these things are coming, and these things would be, it, it doesn't mean we shouldn't cry out to the Lord. Because I'm going to tell you right now, as soon as you and I come into a battle, be it from an outside force, be it from within ourselves because of choices maybe we've made or things that are going on, nothing says that we shouldn't but cry out to the Lord. We should be the, the first thing we should learn to do is cry out to the Lord. First thing. And the first thing should not be running to a friend. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Everybody say, no. No, there isn't. But the first thing we should do is to cry out to the Lord. That's the first thing we should do. And I want to give you something here in, in 1 Timothy 4.1. You can write this reference down. I don't have all the references on that outline. You can do that. But in this section, 4.1, uh, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in a lot of times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits of things taught by demons. Now, do you understand what that just said? That just summed up what I just said earlier, that we sometimes can make choices and decisions that has put us into peril, into difficulties in our lives. Uh, that if we're not careful and we understand what the Spirit is saying to the church, and we understand what the Lord is clearly saying in these last days, that if we're not careful, ladies and gentlemen, we could set ourselves up for being one of those that will abandon our faith. I know that's not anything you want to hear. I know you're sitting here saying, that will never happen to me. Well, these people here never thought it would happen to them either. Paul is talking to Christians. This, 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 this book is talking to Christians. He's not talking to the unsaved. What sin to a sinner? But what sin to a, a Christian is a different thing. We know. Listen, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith. You know what that word faith means? It means trust in, rely on, depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means. That means you're having an experience with the Lord. If you're trusting, 
and you are depending on him and you're yielding everything to him, that means you know him, that means you are trusting him, that means you are experiencing him, and he's talking about those kind of people. And all of a sudden, they're now following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, if you don't think this can't happen, I'm going to get very open with you. Very, very open with you. Sorry, brother. I didn't mean to make that noise for you. Years ago, I knew a minister who had fallen. And he, uh, this was the second time he had fallen. So he had to be put on, the first time he, he fell, he went through restitution through the Assemblies of God. It's a two-year program, a year of counseling, and then a year of supervision under another pastor. And then he could return back to ministry. But when it happened the second time, uh, and he refused to come under the authority of the Assemblies of God, they had no choice but to dismiss him. Now, this was an Assemblies of God pastor who turned evangelist, who was an outstanding teacher. He was a, he was a, he was a good teacher. And uh, when he could not come back to the assemblies, he decided to start his own church, which did not get very far at all. Today, that same minister now wears a tattoo he just recently had put on his arm that says, I'm atheist. Now, this, this is a man that was raised in, I knew him personally, he was raised in the Assemblies of God from childhood, from infancy. That's all he knew. Raised in the Assemblies of God church, Assemblies of God families, brothers, sisters, mom, dad, whole, whole family in the Assemblies of God. But he got deceived by this world. He abandoned the faith. Now he calls himself an atheist. Unfortunately, these kinds of things can happen. Now let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this will explain the kind of things that, again, you see what we're talking about today. We're not talking about some kind of a struggle that can hit us, you know, sickness or uh, a family friend or concern. We're talking about dealing with deep within our own spirit lives, things that we need to be careful that we don't open ourselves up to so we're not abandoning our faith. Amen? So here are the kind of things that are causing people to abandon their faith. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses. You want to write that down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, first five verses. I think I've read this before here, but I want to read it again today. But mark this, there will be terrible times, say terrible times, in the last days. Now, please, if anybody is sitting here today, don't think we are living in terrible times. Please see me after church. Because I want, a, I want your eyesight. I want your mind and my mind. I don't, I don't want all this stuff to be happening. So I'd love to be able to say, hey, I don't see any of this stuff. All right? We know it's around, folks. And it's getting even worse than we can imagine. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power, have nothing to do with such people. Now, 
you do know what he meant when he said had nothing to do with such people, because how can we win them if we don't have something to do with them? What he's saying is, do not participate in what they're participating in. And that light have nothing to do with them. He didn't say you couldn't witness to them. He didn't say you couldn't love them. He didn't say you couldn't try to bring them to the Lord or any of that or pray for them. Just don't participate in their lifestyle. Especially when they call themselves a Christian. And if they're doing these things, you can't do that. You can't participate in that. So we're, we're getting a, a bit of a glimpse here of that. But then we move to uh, another place. You write this down in Philippians 4. Philippians 4. And chat, uh, verses, uh, verses 6 and 7. 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. All right. And here's what it says. Philippians chapter 4, and I think you already know this verse quite well, uh, 6 and 7. Um, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, say every situation, by prayer. So one of those situations is when I'm going through a battle, whether it's from the outside working its way in or from within myself coming out of me, I'm not Something's not going on right. I should, by prayer, with every situation, by prayer and petition, that's one of the things I better be praying about. If I got a stronghold inside of me today, if I'm dealing with a temptation and an issue and I'm not handling it properly, you know what? I better do some praying. First and foremost, I better start crying out to God. Okay? With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you why, to me, this is so beautiful. It's saying to me that even if I'm going through something that it's not good, maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. I don't have to not come to God. I don't have to stay away from God. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to stay away from him. He wants you to uh, abandon God. He wants you to walk away from God. He wants you to, uh, he doesn't want you praying and reading your Bible. No, even if I'm in that state where I'm making some wrong choices when I leave here today, I still need to be crying out to God. And this is God setting this up. God is setting this up in Gideon. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, but this is something God is setting up. You all, you've been messing up down there. But he's still going to raise up an army. Isn't that beautiful? Even though you're messing up down there, Israel, I'm still going to raise you up. <laughs> oh, thank God for his mercy. Folks, thank God for his grace and mercy. Do you know how many times he could start this earth over again, but he said he would never do that again? You know how many times he could have done that? So many times. You know how many times he could have obliterated us from the face of this earth? So many times. But through his grace and mercy, he's getting our attention still. Still getting our attention. There's no God like him. There's that song, right, Ball? There's no God like our God. Yeah, you, you better believe it. Now, See, all our prayers are in the hands of God's sovereignty. And I, I want to just share something that you might ask the question, well, pastor, if people abandon the faith and in the latter times, last days, this is how people are going to live. 
and if we know all of this, then why am I praying about what Scripture said is going to happen? Why am I praying then? You ever ask yourself that question? If I've got the Bible that says all this is going to happen, that's happening, and we're seeing everything I just read today happening, then why am I praying about it? If he said it's going to happen, that's got to happen, so I pray. Well, I'll, I'll give you one good reason, and this is a horrific story. Uh, I think you probably called it in the news where uh, a man, uh, uh, I, I guess I got, we have any young ears in here? I probably, I think I could say this, that this, this man killed his wife, but he took his two-year-old son and fed him to an alligator. And they had to shoot the alligator, and when they shot the alligator, he released the little boy dead. And I, I saw that in the news, I think, you, you, do you know what the first concern I have? Where, we, we think of her being killed, that's sad. We think of what happened to that little boy. Now, the only good news is that we know where that little boy is. The only bad news is we don't know where mom is. And you see, the reason we pray is that God will... While these things are going to happen, because this is what people choose to do. You see, these, he's showing us in the writing here, this is what people choose to do. This is the way people choose to be. So when we see that in Scripture, then I know that one thing, I can't stop what God said is going to be, because he knew what choices they were going to make. That's why these things are going to be. But we can't stop people from going to hell. By praying for people that's living the abandonment life at this point and are on the verge of abandoning their faith and all these people in the latter times, this is how people will be. We can pray that they, some way, somehow, they can come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So, honey, there's a lot to be praying about. There's a lot to be praying for. And I think if, I always think this way. I just, this is my nature, it's my DNA. Every time I hear about, I look at my wife and say, honey, all these people that died, they, they have no clue where, where they were going to end up if they didn't know the Lord. You can't even put a percentage on how worse it is to die and to wake up in hell. How do you put a percentage on how bad it is? Nothing can be worse than that because that hell experience is for eternity. For eternity. I'm putting together a message on the university of hell versus the university of heaven. And I hope to put together a demonstration of the difference between the two. And that you know, these people here in Timothy, they're in the university of hell. And those of us who accepted the Lord are in the, are in the university of heaven on this earth. And we need to know what the degree is for both of them. What is the ultimate degree for both of them? So all our prayers are in the hands of a sovereign God. And the point we want to understand is that even if I am off track, even if I'm off base, even if I'm not doing what I should, or and I'm dealing with things that come my way that I had no clue was coming my way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever they may be, I can still call on God. That's what God was doing for Israel. Israel, you have once again walked away from me. 
I can hear God one day saying, what in the world is wrong with you? Look what I've done. Look what I've provided. Look what I've made available to you and protected you and given you my presence and my power. What is wrong? Why can't you see who I am and what I can do for you? I just thank God that he still has the grace and the mercy to bring us forth into victory. Number two, we have to stop disobeying God. Now, I'm going to be so practical, it's crazy. Crazy practical. Uh, verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10. I'm just going to be so practical. All right? He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. sin. Certainly isn't good. That's James 4.17. James 4.17. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, there are sins of omission. There are sins of commission. The sins of commission are the things that we, we are knowingly doing wrong. Sins of omission have more to do with the type of things that we ought to be doing, as our brother said in Sun School class two weeks ago, the things that we ought to be doing but we don't do. Now, listen very carefully. I want you to go home and check me out, scholars. Go home and check me out. The, the Greek word for sin is, in the original, in classical Greek, is a simple phrase. It's got other definitions, but the basic one means to miss the mark. In Bible days, there was bow and arrow shooting targets all the time. And that's what Paul was comparing it to, shooting an arrow, hitting the bullseye. If we're not hitting the bullseye, then we missed the mark. So he that knows to do good, do not to him in a sin. So when you look at the definition of sin and commission, that's doing the absolute things that we ought not to be doing. The Bible makes it very clear, thou shalt not. Whereas the sins of omission is the exact same Greek word for sin for the sin of omission. So he that does wrong when, of the things they know they shouldn't be doing is sin, he that doesn't do the things they should be doing, it is also sin to them. How do you like that one? Did you think you walked out of here perfect? I want us to be perfect. You know what the word, by the way, don't get confused on the word perfect. The word perfect for God is a different word in the Hebrew than the word perfect for us on earth. The word perfect for us on earth wasn't the same word used of God's ultimate perfection or Jesus' ultimate perfection. The, the Greek word for the word perfect for us, be ye perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect, that word perfect there means be ye therefore full, complete in me as the Father is full and complete. So the Greek word for perfect for us is to be full and complete, to be well balanced, all right? Now, so what are you really saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is, if I'm walking out of here and I'm going to use a couple examples, if I don't pick up my Bible one time until next Sunday, I'm not obeying the Lord. If I'm not praying every day, then I'm not obeying the Lord. I'm sorry, but I'm not obeying the Lord because we're supposed to pray without ceasing. 
Because we're supposed to delight in his word day and night. David delighted in his word day and night. Psalm 1. If I'm not letting my light shine, then I'm disobeying. If I'm not watching the right things, listening to the right things, reading the right things, eating the right things, tasting the right things, acting the right way, then I'm not obeying God. Then guess what? I hate to tell you, but your perfect little world just shattered. Then we're, then we're sinning. It's not as, I'm not going to go to hell if I don't read my Bible every day. I'm not going to go to hell if I, don't read my, if I don't pray every day, if I don't witness every day. Because I have Jesus in me, but I am going to be rewarded for the things that I did do on this earth. I will be receiving rewards in heaven, and you will, based on the things that we did on this earth. So it does matter. Ladies and gentlemen, it does matter that when I walk out of here, I've got to stop disobeying it if I know that he that knows to do good. And that makes it more complicated, Pastor. He that knows to do good. Thanks a lot for saying that. But I didn't. The Bible did. The Bible said it, ladies and gentlemen. He that knows to do good and will not do it, to him it is as much as missing the mark as going out and doing the things that I know I shouldn't be doing. Stings a little bit, doesn't it? Do we ever read 7 through 10? No. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord, because of Midian, he sent a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all the oppressors. You see what he's doing is, remember I said earlier, folks, he was saying, Israel, what's wrong with you down there? Why aren't you listening? Why don't you remember? I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. When I walk out here today, if I'm not serving God 100%, at least trying to do my best to serve God 100%, then I'm not listening to God. I'm not listening to God. Number three, the Lord is still with you. Here we go. Verses 11 through 12. The Lord is still with you. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Ebazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So here we are. God has seen the messed up condition they're in again. They've decided to serve another God. Yet God comes on the scene with his grace, with his mercy, with his love that's beyond our comprehension, it says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon is already being called a mighty warrior. Are you ready for this, folks? You know what I'm going to say, don't you? The day you got saved, you became a mighty warrior of the Lord. You might have been a baby warrior, but you were a warrior. You may not have known a lot about the word, but you were a warrior. You were called in. I was at Lowe's this week, and the lady said, are you in the military? I said, no, but I'm in the Lord's Army. Does that count? Yeah. And she smiled. She couldn't help me there. But 
Anyways, I say that all the time, not because I'm looking for a discount. I'm looking for an open door. I'm looking for an open door to witness. That's why I say it. That's why I say it. And every time a server comes to our table, we try to engage them, my wife and I, get into their life, where you go to school, where you go to church, etc. We've invited many of them to church over the years. Now, if you're a servant, I come to your restaurant and you're left-handed, you get 20 plus percent because I'm left-handed. And boy, do we get good service because of that. So look at this. Even in our weakness or carelessness, the Lord is still with us. Isn't that wonderful? Israel was being careless. They were serving another guy. After, and God went through that paragraph. Look at all I did. I rescued from the hand of the Egyptians. The Egyptians da, 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 da. He goes to the list, of, again, of all the kinds of things he did. And here you are worshiping another God. Look at all that God has done for us. Why should I walk out of here and serve any other God? Why should I fall for anything else out there? Why should I give them that stuff out there? When all that God's done for me. With all that God's done for you. Now, at the same time this happens, because there's a whole chapter that Paul dealt with in Romans, that this doesn't mean that we have a license to sin. Well, I know, because you remember that minister I told you about? He had a philosophy that, well, his doctrine changed at first, after he left the assembly. It says doctrine changed. And he went into this grace doctrine. Now, grace is a good Bible teaching and doctrine. Don't get me wrong, but not the what he believed. He believed that you could do as you please and still be forgiven. I call that grace without grace without. Uh, grace without faith is, is cheap grace. Grace without proper conduct and behavior is cheap grace. When he gave us grace, he gave it to us so we would do the right thing, not think that we had a license to do wrong. I can do whatever I want because I know he'll forgive me. That's his grace. They took the, there, there's a teaching out there that takes grace to the other extreme end. That grace becomes the savior. Grace isn't the Savior. Jesus is the Savior who gives us grace to live a holy life. And everyone said. So I mean in our struggle, God is still present. Thank God. So what did he do? He saw Israel as a mess, so he raised up a man. Are you ready for what's coming? (laughs) God sees this earth is a mess, and he's raising up a man and a woman to go out there and be the warrior he called us to be. That is what we call, by the way, his conviction in us. That's how he keeps us on track. And everyone said, amen. Now we have a dialogue, number four. We have a dialogue between God and Gideon in verses 13 through 18. Verses 13 through 18. Pastor, you're reading it in Judges, right? Not Joshua? Judges? You have Joshua on the sheet, and it looks like Lord Wednesday. It is Judges, yeah. I have Joshua? You have Joshua on the sheet? Okay. Just a second. Just a second. You know what? I had someone type this out for me. Yeah. So just change the name. You got the right verses. Just change, I hope. Yeah, you got the right verses. Just change the name. The, the verses are right. Don't get scared. Thank you for speaking up. Yeah, someone typed this up for me. 
And I just picked him up last night uh, from the church. And so, wow, th thank you. I knew it was judges. Why did I sit there and not pick up on that? Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. So, back to 13. So, in verse 13, he says, Pardon me, my Lord. And he replied, If God is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Do not... Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Notice what, Jesus, notice what God said. Notice immediately what God said. He said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is, weak as, is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the weakest in my family. So here's God. Instead of going to the elite, instead of going to the elite, he is going to the least. From the elite to the least. Isn't that like God? So when you're sitting here today and you think you aren't worth much, and you think you're the least, watch out. God's going to visit you. God uses the weak, not just the elite, whatever the elite is. You know, somebody who's had more experience, depends on their position, who whatever. God uses whom God wants to use, which means he can use anybody. And everyone said. Amen. So the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Do, are, are you picking up on anything? Gideon replied, if, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. This is, what is so cool here. Is, is that even, uh, ever have that type of conversation with God? Have you ever had that debate with God? Have you ever had that dialogue with God and you, uh, um, you're, you feel like maybe the Lord is asking you to do something, go someplace, become something? you ever had that discussion with God and, and he's not listening to you? It's not making a difference? Whether we have this verbally debate with God, dialogue, or in our mind, have you ever found that your reasoning ever won? <laughs> Come on. Do we really think we can win against God? Do you think our reasoning measures up to his reasoning? See, did Noah's matter? All right. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I think I said Noah. I meant Jonah. Jonah. Did Jonah's matter? Did Gideon's matter? Because did you notice here that whatever he said, God didn't pay a bit of attention to what he said. Did you pick up on that? Pardon me, my Lord. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Didn't even deal with what he said. Didn't even deal with it. Pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? The Lord answered, I will be with you. You will strike it out. He didn't get give him how he was going to save him. He just said, I will be with you. He didn't give him the details yet. It's like, it's like God's not paying attention. He hears them. But God is God. And ladies and gentlemen, listen. When God says something, he says it. What he wrote, he wrote. What we have, we have. I cannot reason out of it. 
I cannot mess around with it. I can't change it. God says, I am God, and I do not change. So if I think I can reconfigure who should be doing the work of the Lord, and it shouldn't be me, it should be them, it should be her, him, uh, not me, Lord, it's not going to work because once I read it in the Bible, it becomes my story, becomes my responsibility. So, again, we know verses 13 and 14. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? What have all the wonders that has told us about? You see? Now, Jonah. Let's get to Jonah for a moment. 3-2. Write that down. 3-2. Do you remember the first thing? What did God say to Jonah to begin with? Before he ran to the ship and got on the ship. What was it the Lord asking him to do? Go and what? When? Preach the gospel to Nineveh. Remember? Was to go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim the message. That I give you, right? So Jonah gets, you know the story, he gets cast into the sea, swallowed up by a whale. Uh, some people call it, say it's a big fish, we don't know if it's a whale, but Matthew calls it a whale in Matthew. So we believe it was a whale because that's the biggest type ship or uh, fish that's in the sea. So scholars have agreed it's probably a whale. Anyways, so here we are, chapter 3, he's now been spit out on the ground because in the well of the belly, he, for three days and three nights, which is a typology of the Christ being in the grave, three days, three nights, and raising from the dead, we see here Jonah is spit out onto the shore. What do you think God says? Here's what God didn't do. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. I, I see what you're saying, Jonah. Uh, yeah, I could use... I, I, I guess I could try something different. Okay, you ran for me, you, you confessed, you, you told me what you were feeling. You said, I know you, God, you're a God that's going to, you're, you're, you're going to forgive them, you're going to relent, Lord, and you're going to forgive them, and everything's going to be fine. You, you got a good point. Yeah, I could just make that happen. I, you know what, Joel, I'll go somewhere else. I'll, I'll use something else. Is that what God did? No, God doesn't even pay a bit of attention again. He gets to the point from the first point, chapter 1. Chapter 3, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. It's amazing how God never changes his mind. He does what he says he's going to do. And he's going to do it, if not, by the way, there is one criteria. If we don't obey God, I'll tell you one thing. There will be somebody that could suffer because we didn't obey not only ourselves, but others who didn't get the message. But God is gracious enough to raise somebody up to go in their place. I believe God can do that. But here, and many times for us, he wants us to do it. No debate in this case. God simply repeated the second message, second time, the first. Now, uh, just get up and go. Nothing has changed, Jonah. Just go. And he did. And the city repented. And yes, he got upset with God. I knew you'd do this. God had to deal with him. But here's what God said at the end of Jonah. He said, Should I not care for the people of Nineveh and their 
cattle. So if I sit here today and I could care less what's going on out there, if I could care less who doesn't know the Lord, that's their fault. By now they've had a chance to hear. They've, they've had to hear somebody say it to them, even though it wasn't me. I could sit here and think that way, but it, that won't work, especially when you may be the only one that will ever tell them the story. I don't have time today. I've got to close right now. I don't have time to tell you the many stories I could tell you of people I've witnessed to over the years who had in Dover, people as old as in their 70s, had never heard of the story of Jesus in their lifetime, raised in our own city. And he, this guy I'm talking about was raised in Philly and in Dover. I was the first one in a park one day to walk up to him and tell him about the story of Jesus. 70-some years old. Don't be fooled if you think everybody's heard the story in America. They haven't. So, listen, through all history, nothing has changed. It's all been about God. Now, isn't that something? That God has to end up with Noah with this comment. Should I not care for the people of Nineveh and their cattle? When I walk out here today, should I not care what God cares about? Should I not care with what God cares about? And with that, we have to close. I was hoping to get to the first five, but uh, that's okay. We'll come back and finish it up. And uh, let's have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with the Lord today, shall we, in closing? And... Uh, Praise the Lord. Father, we just ask you to help us to see the bigger picture, Lord, of the things that you see. I think, Lord, if we could see a teardrop come from your eyes, that what would be in that teardrop would be faces of people who are in the valley of decision today. A lot of people do not know they're in the valley of decision. Some do know they're in the valley of decision. That's why they make the choices they make in life, because they're fighting for peace, to find peace, to find resolve. And in the eyes of your son, Jesus, on the cross, when those tears were coming down, if we could see those tears close up, there would be faces of people. And those faces of people might be people that are in hell crying out because it's too late for them. And that's why you died. So that we would pick up, Lord, where your son Jesus left us to go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit that you'd be with us unto the uttermost parts of the earth and unto the end. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be inclined to see the bigger picture of why you sent your son at Easter. Why, Lord, he came and rose again so that through him we could know you. Well, many of us in this room, if not all of us, do know you now and thank you for that, Lord. Now, what are we going to do with it, Lord? 
Should we not care for the people of Selbyville and the surrounding areas as you do? Lord, should we not just get up and do what you've asked us to do and instead of trying to reason ourselves that it's somebody else's responsibility and someone else's job when it's not? And I pray, Lord, that you'll equip this church mightily. Again, Lord, there's such beautiful, beautiful presence of the Lord here. And I just pray, God, you'll cut these people loose. Let us not be distracted by things that are not as important as the things that you've called us to do. You've given us the ability to carry out life. We got our dailies to take care of, but oh God, we're to build into those dailies. Every opportunity that we have to be intentional about making sure that we're carrying out your plan, your mission. We just pray you'll touch everyone here today, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, body, soul, mind, and spirit in every way. And continue to use us. Bless everyone as they may travel during Easter. Give them an awesome, awesome, awesome Easter Sunday. Bring people into this church. Let them get ready for an influx. Lord, bring people in. Let them invite someone this week coming, Lord. We just thank you, Father, for what you've done, all you're going to do. We give you glory, praise, and honor. And everyone prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to close with this statement. I, over the years, you know, I would hear things that I didn't like. And one of the things I would hear is that people would make fun of what we call the Christers. They only came at Christmas and Easter, they're called Christers. And that even pastors would get in the pulpit and, and make a comment. Well, it's Easter Sunday, you finally came to... Folks, no. No. Be glad they're in church on Easter. Be glad they're in church at Christmas time because it's a chance to hear the gospel. Don't ridicule, don't make fun. Just welcome them. Let them feel welcome to the house of God because their soul matters. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful Easter. Thank you. And I apologize about judges. I, I, in my head, I knew it was judges. Don't ask me why.